All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Romans chapter 6. In this session, we're going to be looking at Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. And here in this section, Paul uses the imagery of slavery and freedom to further illustrate the believer's relationship to sin, particularly to answer the question, why we are now set free from the power of sin because we're not under the law anymore. As we have noted earlier, this imagery of slavery and the freedom from slavery has really been in the background of Paul's mind and discussion throughout chapter 6. It was first hinted at in 6.6 and 6.13, but now Paul's going to take up that imagery full force, use it explicitly to help us understand what happened when we became a Christian and how when we were transferred out of Adam and into Christ, we experienced a newfound freedom from the power of sin. He calls us to picture two different slave owners, two slave masters. One slave master is sin. The other slave master is righteousness or God. He uses both words for the second one, righteousness and God. So one slave owner is sin. One slave owner is righteousness or God. And this imagery of slavery and slave masters and freedom and all of that was readily readily available to Paul because slavery was everywhere present in the ancient world. And so it would have been a very um, visual image, something they understood, something that was a lived experience for lots of people. In fact, at any given time, about 20, 20 plus percent of the empire were slaves. Plus, you had all sorts of ex-slaves, freed slaves throughout the empire. It was just a stock part of life in the Roman Empire. And so this imagery made a lot of sense to people, and they could really relate to how it worked. And thus, it became really a powerful picture for Paul here of what happened when uh, someone moved from being outside of Jesus to being in Jesus. It was as if they changed slave masters, they changed slave owners, and they moved from being under the domination of sin and the master sin to under the domination of righteousness and God. So let's just read down through this section, and I'll just kind of comment as we go to help you really see and feel what Paul is saying here in this section as he really carries out the point that he began here in the first half of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 15, asks a rhetorical question. Remember, we said this is Paul's style throughout chapter 6 and 7 is question and answer, question and answer. So the question is, in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? That's the question. Since he brought up um, the law in verse 14, and since the law was brought up at the end of chapter 5 and we're playing off all of that, well, if we're not under the law, does that mean we're free to sin? And Paul's answer is no, 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 no. you got to think clearly about this. So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the Old Testament law anymore? Well, no. We shouldn't. So he says, may it never be. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Well, why not? Well, this is where the imagery comes in. And so in verse 16, Paul says in essence, whichever master you give yourself over to obey, that's the one whose slaves you are. That's just the way it works. If you picture different slave owners, right? Like if, if, this guy and this guy are two different well-known slave owners in town, and 
you obey one, even though technically you're supposed to be a slave of the other one, you're really this guy's slave, right? You work for him. That's the imagery. So whichever master you give yourself over to obey, that's the one whose slaves you actually are. So he says in verse 16, don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one you actually obey? In the case of his point, either sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And so we have these two different options for who we present ourselves to obey, either uh, either sin and the result of being a slave to sin is death because sin leads to death, or you could present yourself to obedience or righteousness resulting in righteousness. And so that's that's our options. We have two slave owners before us, and you choose who you present yourself to. Now, as we read down through verses 17 through 22, pay attention to the before and after element of this imagery, all right? It's really important as you read down through it to, to notice the kind of the before and after element and how that plays out in the tense of the verbs, all right? We often miss this, and this is really, really important for understanding who we are in Christ. So let's read verses 17 and following. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So notice what he says, that here's something God did for us. This is what God and his grace did for us, that though you were slaves of sin, notice that you used to be that. That's who you were. Sin used to be your slave owner and you used to be his slaves. But you became obedient from the heart, so sincere, authentic, genuine obedient from the inside out. That's the idea of obedient from the heart. So you became obedient from the inside out to that form of teaching to which you were committed. To, In other words, Christian teaching. The idea of the teaching that to which you were committed is the teaching that was given to you, the teaching that was brought to you and was entrusted to you, and now you have received it, okay? And so you became obedient to Christian teaching, and verse 18 says, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, right? And so notice again, having been freed, that, like this is an accomplished fact. Again, we're just playing out everything that Paul said in the first half of chapter six. So you once were slaves of sin, not anymore. You were set free from sin as your slave master. So uh, he is no longer your slave master anymore. You became slaves of righteousness. And so it's not as if you don't have any master. You've changed masters. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. This is now who you are. In verse 19, then Paul goes on to basically say, I'm using this imagery of slave and masters because I think it'll help you out. So he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In essence, what he's saying is I'm giving you a human example, human analogy of slavery and master because it should help you understand what actually happened. Okay, that's in essence what he said. And so he's, he goes on then in verse 19 says, for just, for just as you presented your members, remember the members from 12 through 14 is the parts of your body. So just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. That's the way it worked. And so 
using this imagery of slavery, says you used to offer yourself to impurity and lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness. And that cycle is really the human experience. The more wrong you do, the easier it is to do more wrong, the harder it is to do more right. And it becomes sort of addictive. It sort of becomes embedded within us, hardwired into us. And we just get stuck in a lawless pattern. And so you used to be a slave to sin and you used to present yourself to them that way. Notice the tense of the verb, presented, past tense. For just as you at one time in the past presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now in the present, present your parts, present your members, the parts of your body, as slaves of righteousness. And so think of yourself as a slave to righteousness and offer the parts of your body to do his bidding, to do the bidding of righteousness, and that results in, he says, sanctification. So whereas your former life led to further lawlessness, when you present yourself as a slave to righteousness, that results in sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Well, the word sanctification comes from the same root word as the word holy and holiness. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. And so it's like holification. You're becoming holy. And so increasingly in your life, as you offer yourself to righteousness to do his bidding, you become more and more holy, increasingly holy. Paul goes on then in verse 20 and says, For when you were, again, notice the tense, this is in the past, when you were slaves of sin, you're not anymore, but you used to be, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness wasn't your slave owner then. You didn't have to take orders from righteousness, right? He wasn't your boss. He wasn't in charge. Slave was. He was the one you you were uh, bound to and in bondage to. And so you took orders from him. You were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? When you look back on that that bit of your life and you're ashamed of the way you used to live, what benefit? The idea of benefit is fruit or outcome, right? Like what what did you gain from that kind of life when you offered uh, yourself to sin? He says, for the outcome of those things is death, right? Like that's where it leads, right? So you didn't get anything good out of that. Like when you were serving sin as his slave, all you had to look forward to was death because sin and death go hand in hand. They are co-conspirators in destroying God's good world. And you used to serve him, and and all you had to look forward to from that was death. But verse 22, but now, notice the change, the shift before and after, but now, but now having been freed from sin, catch that, having been freed from sin. Second time he said that in this paragraph, he said it in verse 18, he restates it here, having been set free from sin as your master. You're no longer under his authority. He's no longer in charge of your life. So having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, God is now your master. God is the one whom you serve, right? God is the one who you owe your allegiance and your obedience to. So uh, having been enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, your fruit, your outcome, resulting in sanctification. And so now as a slave to God, what do you have to look forward to? Becoming more and more holy, which means becoming more and more like Jesus, which means becoming 
essentially more and more human again, that Jesus was the most genuine, authentic human being who ever lived. And the more you become like him, the more human you are becoming. And so now you are increasingly and progressively growing in Christlikeness, growing in sanctification or holiness. And this means you're fulfilling your humanity in a way you never could have dreamed of before. So you have that to look forward to. So you now derive your fruit, your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome of that Well, it's eternal life, not death, but eternal life. And then verse 23 wraps all this up by saying, for, again, summarizing, explaining, drawing all this together, for the wages of sin is death. When you worked for sin, the only paycheck you got and had to look forward to was death in all its facet, in all its capacities, death. Spiritual death, eternal death, physical death, little deaths throughout the course of your life, just death. Things just died when you were working for sin, right? That was the paycheck he paid you was death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because this freedom that you have from sin, this opportunity now to be set free from sin and become a slave to God and to righteousness and enjoy the growing holiness in your life, that is a work of God's grace. He made it all possible through Jesus Christ, who did so much more for us than Adam ever could have by unleashing sin and death in this world. And so the free gift of God is eternal life. Life From heaven itself, the very life of God poured into us now and going on forever, eternal life in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So just a few reflections before we leave this section. One way to think about this particular section and the truth it's talking about is the idea of realm transfer or regime transfer. We used to live in the realm where sin was king where he was the boss, he was the master, the kingdom of sin and death. And in that kingdom, sin called the shots. And we were really obligated to follow his orders. And we did. But now we've been transferred out of that kingdom, out of that realm, and into the realm where grace is king, where God is king, and where he's in charge, and he calls the shots. And that means we no longer have to take orders from sin. We're free to follow God's orders. In fact, the change of relationship is so stark, so drastic, it's spoken of in terms of death and life, right? Like we died to sin and we're alive to God. And so we've moved into a new realm where God is in charge and where we are free to take instructions from him. Imagine, if you will, say an important kind of middle manager at a big corporation. And After working for that corporation for, say, 10, 11, 12 years, he gets a job offer from a major competitor, and it would be a significant improvement. The culture of the company's better. The the job that he's going to be doing fits more his strengths, and he so he decides, I'm taking this new job. So he quits his old job, moves to the new company across town, and starts working for this new company. It would be silly, wouldn't it, if this guy uh, every day, say at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, before he heads into his new job, picks up his phone and calls his old boss, the CEO of the old company that he used to work for, and say, uh, hey boss, 
do you have anything you need me to do today before I go to my new job? That would be silly. He would never do that, right? And he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to check in with that guy anymore. He doesn't have to ask for instructions. If that guy actually sent him a text or called him up, right, trying to give him instructions, he would just block him on his phone. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't work for you anymore. I work for a new boss now. I work for a new company. Well, that's the imagery that Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 6. And so we have moved companies. We have changed regimes around, and we now work for the company where God is king and where he's in charge, and he calls the shots. And so we can block phone calls from our old master, from sin himself, and from unrighteousness. We don't have to listen to that anymore. And that means... Please listen closely to what I'm about to say. That means we don't have to sin anymore. That doesn't mean that, again, we're immune to temptation. That doesn't mean we're legitimately going to quit sinning in our life. It just means we don't have to do it anymore. Now, we still do, right? We still struggle with it. Temptation still calls our name. We still need forgiveness, right? As John says in 1 John, little children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and following. The point is, is that we can live a genuine holy life. We don't have to take orders from sin anymore. But my experience, and probably your experience too, is even though we don't have to, sometimes we still do, right? We still sin. We still do what's wrong. But sin can increasingly be... Uh, gotten rid of, right? Sin can increasingly become the exception and holiness can increasingly become the norm. We derive our benefit, sanctification, the increasing process of becoming like Jesus, becoming holy. And so we don't have to take orders from sin anymore, but we still do. Why is that? Why is it then that we still listen to sin? Well, let me just give you three reasons. And this is maybe a bit of an oversimplification, but I think this is really important for our spiritual growth and our spiritual formation. So why do we still sin? Well, one is because of the environment around us. The whole bent of society around us is away from God, against God. The ambitions, the desires, the goals, the entire climate in which our culture, whatever culture we're living in, our culture lives and breathes is against God. And the motivations for behaviors, both good and bad, they don't include God. We can't drive down the street without being faced with images on billboards that call us to a different worldview and a different way of life. We can't go shopping without facing that either, right? So uh, this environment in which we live and move and breathe is the fallen world around us, the fallen culture around us, and that makes sin everywhere present and provides plenty of opportunities for sin to stir up sinful passions in us. So that's one reason. We just live in a world where sin is everywhere present. And so it's even when we don't want to and we don't go looking for sin to call our name, sometimes sin still finds us. Another reason why sometimes we still sin, one that Paul emphasizes very heavily uh, through this section of Romans, is learned habits of the body. Sin somehow gets into the body. We've sinned long enough and lived according to the fallen world long enough that we've gotten good at sinning. And so certain stimuli uh, provoke a kind of automatic reflex responses within us. Sometimes we we don't even like we don't even like. We're like, where did that even come from? Right? Like sin somehow gets into our body like muscle memory, and 
we just struggle with it. And all of a sudden, certain things come our way, boom, instantly stirs up sinful passions, sinful desires. And now temptation is afoot and we're having to work extra hard not to listen to sin. And so those learned habits of the body from sinning for so long is just a key part of it. And it's actually what makes Paul's words here, I think, so profound. He calls us to do different things with the parts of our body, right? Like concretely rearrange our life to make it harder and harder for sin to call out our name and to provoke and stir up sinful desires within us. And so we need to do that. We need to interrupt the usual course of affairs to retrain our body to respond to God as our new master. The third reason I think that uh, we have to acknowledge biblically and theologically for why, even though we're free from the power of sin, we still give in to it sometimes is the spiritual forces arrayed against us. We, we must not ignore or minimize the reality of spiritual warfare and of the evil forces engaged in a cosmic conflict with God and thus with us, right? Like, 1 Peter chapter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but resist him. Stand strong in your faith, right? Ephesians chapter 6, the well-known passage on spiritual warfare that stand firm, right? Like This is just the reality. The fact is this world is not a playground. It's a battleground. And so we must be alert and vigilant, not afraid, not thinking there's a demon behind every rock or behind every corner, right? Um, that we can resist the evil one, 1 Peter 5 and Ephesians 6 both say. We can stand firm. We have God's grace and God's spirit to help us do that, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we can stand firm, but we're in a battle. And sometimes in a battle, things go south. And so we have to acknowledge that there are spiritual forces arrayed against us. And so back to the overall point of Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 says, you have been set free from the power of sin. Not just the penalty of sin and justification, but the power of sin as well. He is no longer in charge. He no longer calls the shots in your life. You don't have to listen to him. It's going to be hard. It's going to take a battle. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Rearrange your life and do what God calls you to do and retrain your body to respond to God and his instructions as you go through life in this world. And as you retrain your body, it'll get progressively easier and easier as you become more and more like Christ from the inside out.